0: We need to trust God's timing and hold on to hope during times of waiting. Hello, I'm Brent Siddle, and welcome back to the God's Story podcast. Our very special guest on the show, this time from the States, is no stranger to waiting on God. (laughs) It's something (laughs) I can relate to. And she's written a book about it, in fact. Grace Wabuki-Klein and her husband, Phil, lead Focus 412, a ministry that helps churches grow. Grace was born in Uganda during the tyrannical reign of Idi Amin, and her family fled to the States. Grace has a bachelor's degree in US history and earned a Master's in Intercultural Studies from Fuller Theological Seminary. And her new book from Worthy Books in the States is called Flourish, Finding Purpose in the Unknown and Unexpected Seasons of Life. Grace, hi, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Brent. It's such an honor to be here with you and everybody listening.
0: It's an honor for us to have you on the show. What a life you've had and how you've had to wait. (laughs) Oh man, how you've had to wait. Why is it important, do you think, to wait on God?
1: You know, I think it's so important because when we rush out and try and do our own thing, it often doesn't end well. And um, so much of my story gears with waiting, as you will hear, those of you listening, uh, um, for the Lord to bring my husband. I longed for many years to be married and I had to come to the peace with the fact that it's much better to be an happy single than an unhappy married. I met a lot of people who were married, but they were not happy. And so I realized it's so much better to wait on God, um, his timing, and to realize that he is working, even though we may not see it, that part of the waiting process is developing something in us that could not happen any other way. And uh, I know we can jump into more later, but it really is vital to just trust that he is working. His timing is so much better than we can understand. We don't see the whole picture, but he does. And he knows just exactly when to answer that prayer.
0: Yes, I I know you're right. I've had to wait for years for, for some things, but you're absolutely right. Now, singleness, you write a lot about singleness. How did singleness affect you and how does it affect so many Christian women? around yeah. the world. Oh,
1: my goodness, how much time do we have on that? <laughs> as one? long as you like. <laughs> as long as you like. Oh gosh. It you know, it's one of those things that um there can be so many unspoken and spoken expectations in the church that you and within Hollywood as well that if you are single, you're somehow not complete. You know, you haven't fulfilled your mission here on this earth. And that can be, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You know, Uh, there was a famous movie from years ago. I think it was um, Jerry Maguire and this romantic scene where it says, you complete me. And it was so beautiful and romantic. But that's not true. You know, we you are as the child of God are complete as you are. And um, in in the church, in the same way that you don't have to wait until you get married or have kids in order to serve and to minister. And it was so important for me to realize that Jesus said he came that we might have life. And life abundantly. It doesn't say after you get married or after you have um, kids or based on your relational status. But right now, and so it's been a passion of mine to encourage those of you who are, who are single, anybody who may be listening this single, is to live your life now, you know, go out and travel and invest in real estate and take classes, get your degree, you know, don't hide in a cave of depression or put your life on pause, but live it to the fullest because that's why Jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly. And in fact, that's one of the things that my husband was most attracted to about me that I was living a life I wasn't thirsty, you know, or desperate, but just enjoying life.
0: Yes, Phil has an, can I call it an end note where he he puts his, he puts his some bit in and that's, that's wonderful as well. And we'll come and talk about how the two of you met because I think that's just a lovely story. But can we go back and, I mean, your parents, experience of the church in the States was n- not entirely positive, was it? In fact, they had a very, very bad experience of racism. Can you just tell us a bit about how they came to leave Uganda? Because in itself, that's a remarkable story.
1: Right. Um, I'm so grateful for what God has done in our family, and and I'm grateful to Um, to be able to live here in the United States. We actually fled Uganda during the days of Idi Amin in 1976. For those who don't know, he was a very brutal dictator, killing off people who were um, Christian and educated. And my dad fell into that category as a professor at the campus, the main university, and um, he was leading Bible studies. And so In a setting like that, you can't just leave um, the country, Uh, it's very dangerous. And um, in fact, he had colleagues that went missing uh, as they tried to escape. And so we actually lived in the apartment just underneath where Idi Amin's son lived. And what that meant is that we were even in more danger because the military was in and out of the building Um, But the Lord showed them, um, gave my parents the idea to just move during the middle of the day, put their stuff in university boxes. So it looked like they were just moving to another apartment. And um, they would pray Psalm 91 every day, praying that God would protect us. And he really did. We were able to cross the border from Uganda to Kenya. And as we were being detained and interrogated as an 18 month old baby, I messed up my clothes and, um, the guards were like, get the messy baby out of here. <laughs> and so to this day, I testify that God uses anything. Um, <laughs> my- and I'm forever grateful for that. So we were able to go to Kenya and from there to come to the United States. Um, cause my dad was pursuing his PhD, um, as a scientist and, um, And so I'm very grateful to be here, Brent, very grateful. I know there's no country that's perfect, but I know that there was a lot of sacrifice to be given for the opportunities I have today, and I'm very grateful for that.
0: Yes, and having fled Uganda, they attended a church where they were met with anything but uh, welcome arms.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, you know, we were looking for a community and we went to the church as the first place. And we're so excited when the pastor said he wanted to meet with us. Um, so my mom created a, a wonderful meal and they sat down and were sh- absolutely shocked when the pastor asked them to leave. Um, he said that the congregation was very uncomfortable with having a black family there. And I just, you know, one of the things that really struck me and has impacted me to this day is how my parents chose to walk with forgiveness and not resentment and... It is uh, something that I've continued to try and aspire to, you know, in in forgiving people. And that's why the book is divided into four seasons. And the first one being fall, which is about letting go of things in your head, your heart and your hands that are keeping you stuck. And sometimes those things in our hearts can be unforgiveness or pride or jealousy um, that we need to begin to release so that we can experience all that God has for us.
0: Yes, I'm going to come and ask you about the four seasons in a moment, because um, I think the way you've set it out is, is beautiful, really. But you mentioned that there are four women who've particularly influenced you, Sojourner, Corrie, Elizabeth, and is it Irena? Can you tell us a bit about how they've influenced you and why? Because they're four remarkable ladies in their own right, aren't they?
1: Right, right. And, you know, I I hope that everybody can take a moment to to pick up the book and learn more about these women, because they are women who, um, you know, we don't have time to go into each one of their stories, but have experienced such atrocities from um, their one of them having their husband being brutally murdered, um, having their kids uh, sold into slavery, Uh, you know, just so many different things that you would imagine are just unforgivable, you know, and somehow each one of them by pressing into God and asking him to help them, were able to forgive and to let go of these things. Not that it was easy for them, but it allowed them to fully step into their purpose. And when you look at the legacy of each one of these women, it, they've impacted generations you know, to this day because of how they lived their lives. And um, I just think there's so much um, to learn from that. That as we let go of those hurts and offenses, it not only impacts our lives, but our families and generations to come. And so, um, I hope that those of you who are listening can can learn from those women. Uh, you know, throughout the book, it's it's powerful.
0: Mm, the Corrie is Corrie Ten Boom from the uh, from the was it the Netherlands, wasn't it?
1: Yes, legend, Absolutely, legend. She
0: certainly had to learn to forgive over time. Okay, well, let's come on and explore this. Behind you, I must say, this is an audio-only podcast, but folks, behind Grace, there are some beautiful pictures of trees. Now... I want to ask you about trees because they're a theme in your book. And are you right if I've got this right? You're right that one of the things I love about trees, you say, is that they're an excellent example of what it looks like to trust in the Lord and place our confidence in him. Now, why is
1: that? Oh, you know, first let me answer what this picture is. It's actually an acacia tree, which is prevalent in Uganda. And it's a reminder to me of what my parents sacrificed for us to be here in this country. You know, my dad passed away in 2019. And so every call that I have, it's a reminder of those who've gone before me. Now, as I think of trees, you know, and and the changing seasons, I think of how that first season of fall in letting go of leaves, So many times people think the wind just blows the leaves off the tree, but that's not the reality. You know, if you go and do a Google search, um, my dad was a scientist, like I said, so I know that there's a hormone that the trees have that intentionally releases the leaves. And I say that because it's something we can learn from to be intentional in letting go of things. And so much of what trees go through parallels what we go through in life. And as, as somebody who always wants to know why something happening, and I don't understand, this doesn't make sense, God, why are you doing this? I love looking at trees and recognizing that they are able to let go of their leaves and be at peace that it's not the end that's not the end of their story you know and going through the winter season you know they eventually have leaves that grow back again and, and it encourages me and I think it's something that can be an encouragement to those of us listening that God is not through with you he's still writing your story he's working even when we do not see it photosynthesis is not something we can see with our natural eyes but we see the effects of it and so often as God works in our lives we're not able to see what he's doing it does that makes sense. But as we look back, I know for my life and I'm sure for yours, Brent, you can say, oh, that's what God was doing. Mm-hmm. And thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer, answer that prayer, <laughs> but instead you did this. Um, and, and and I could go on. But it, I when I look at trees, I'm encouraged that, you know, they're still here. They're still standing even through the storms that have happened. Um, that they establish deep roots. And that's what we want to do as people of faith is establish our roots in the word of God. And so that as we do that, when we go through trials, that's what we lean upon. Mm. Anyway, I'm going to start preaching here. (laughs) No, that's fine. All good.
0: Um, How did you learn to trust God through the surgery? Because you've had pretty radical, you had pretty radical surgery, didn't you? At one point,
1: yes, yes, I've had a couple of them. But the one I write about in the book was um, a hysterectomy, and in fact, I was just talking about it to a friend who is considering that right now. It's a very hard decision to have to make, um, even if you have had. Ch- birth children at that point i had not and um i was dealing with something called fibroids which are benign tumors that grow inside your uterus and make life just unbearable often having to go um if they pressing on your bladder um having to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night up to 10 times you know i'd be going to go and speak and have to tell the host hold on, stall. I need to go use the restroom. And so I knew something needed to be done. And I cried out to God for healing, you know, and it didn't happen through that way. And so it was through modern medicine that they removed my uterus. And it was a hard decision. And I remember that morning going to the hospital and crying out to God, I need a word from you. Um, And that's something we can do. Those of you who are listening, anytime we're in a situation and feeling so Um, helpless, cry out to God. And I asked him to word of encouragement. And all I heard Brent, I felt the Lord say, Grace, when did you give me your life? And um, I was like, Lord, when I was a little girl. And he said, did that include your uterus? I tell you that one wrecked me because when we talk about giving our life to Christ, so often we talk about our careers, you know, yes, Lord, I'll go serve you on the mission field, or I'll give this to you. And I didn't, never it never crossed my mind with my uterus. And as I was there in the car, I just cupped my hands and I said, Lord, I give you my uterus. It's not what I envisioned that this is how things would turn out, but I'm believing you're going to birth more spiritually through this than I would ever in the natural, and I believe this book is part of that, this Mm. message here. Yes,
0: and uh, you've ended up with children, haven't you? Um, Yes, yes. Which we'll talk about near the end, which I think is just so special. Mm -hmm. How do we seek, we've talked about fall, let's come on and deal with the winter season. How do we seek shelter during the winter storms, do you think?
1: Yes. So the winter season in this book are those times of the trials and the deep heartache is the loss of a loved one, maybe a miscarriage, loss of a dream. Or it's the extending extended waiting se- season and trusting God through that. And so we can, we can seek shelter in a number of different ways, just like you do in a storm. Um, there are things that you do to prepare. So making sure that you have friends ahead of time that you can call, really investing in those relationships through a small group at church, making sure that you have been Um, putting in you the word of God that you're able to rely on. You seek shelter by being planted in a church, in a faith-based community where there's other people who have been through a storm and are able to say, I'm standing with you. So um, there are just a few practical things that we can do ahead of time. Now, when you're actually in the storm, it's not the time to rush out and make major shifts in your life. It's the time to keep standing. Um, You call on your friends and say, hey, I I need some help. So often people are afraid to actually call out and say, I need help. Well, God designed us for relationships. And so we need to call upon one another because we're not meant to walk this road alone. So for those of you who may be in a season like that, Seeking shelter can be friends, it can be a professional counsellor, it can be a pastor. The important thing is that you do reach out.
0: Yes, you're right about the importance of having, I like this, 3am friends. Have you had to yes. call on, you've had to call on your 3 a.m. friends? Have you?
1: Yes. yes. My 3 a.m. friends I talk about in the book are people that call you can call on at any time and they will answer. And you know they're not there to judge you. They're just there to listen and let you know that they are in it with you and that you will get through. And I would say that if you don't have any Um, The time to work on developing those relationships is now, (laughs) before the storm comes, um, and being that friend for somebody else.
0: I suppose we would come on to spring and summer. At, At what point did you actually meet your husband, Phil?
1: Oh, Phil and I met when he came to work with the church where I used to be on staff. We were going through... As a church, a leadership transition from the founding pastor to his son. And as part of that, they brought on consultants to help with that transition. And in that process, some of the key staff members were interviewed. I was one of them. And Phil was a person who interviewed me. And he was captured by my story and said, I should write a book. And Mm -hmm. I said, You know, I've been working on one, but I don't know how to get it into Christian publishers. And he invited me to be part of this conference. And he was going to be there because turns out he was the board member for the um, the ministry, and that's where we got to really know each other.
0: And how did you know he was the right one for you? You've been waiting.
1: I think about.
0: (laughs) Can I say this? You were say in your early forties, I think about this time, weren't you?
1: Yes. Yes. How did you know he?
0: How did you know he was the right one?
1: Right. Well, you know, it's. Let me just tell you, he was not what I expected, but as with everything in my life, I always submit it to God and say, is this your will? And previously, as I'd gone on other dates, people had expressed interest. I would ask the Lord and he'd say, no, no, no. And no. When Phil came into my life and we had a beautiful conversation, I didn't think he would be the one because there's 15 years age difference. And he was my boss's contact. But he had expressed a little bit of interest. So I just asked the Lord casually, expecting another no. And the Lord clearly said, he is my gift to you. And I freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, how is this? This is really happening. But um, we met when I was 42. And Phil was my first boyfriend and my first kiss. Uh-huh. And uh, I'd always clarify that it doesn't mean that there, there weren't guys interested. There definitely were. But I believe God brings people together for kingdom purpose. And it's not just, oh, he's cute or she's got it going on. But there's a reason he joins two people together to do greater things for the kingdom than they're doing on their own. And I was determined not to settle, not to wait on, um, or make things happen, I should say.
0: Yes, tell us a bit about Focus 412.
1: Okay, so Focus 412 is... Is um, it 412?
0: Sorry, Focus 412. No,
1: no, no. Yep. It, 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 it gets confused often. Um, it's based on Ephesians 412 on training the saints for the work of the ministry. And so Phil came out of corporate America, accepted the Lord, and um, was asked to come on to the lead team at Elevation Church, And during that time, um, his first wife passed away. And so he stepped back to raise the girls. And um, as the time passed, he was asked by other pastors to help them help their churches grow and go multi-site. And so out of that was birthed Ephesians four twelve, really helping pastors and leaders with the things you don't learn in seminary. So systems and structures, organizational leadership, those different things. And so we have a small team of about 12 and we just work with pastors and leaders and help them in, in all the things with church growth.
0: Mm, Sounds great. You write that the winter seasons of life transform and empower you in ways that cannot happen in the fall, spring or summer. Now, how do the winter seasons of life, when you're in the middle of of a very bleak time, how does that transform and empower you in ways that can't happen in the other seasons, do you think?
1: I, oh, goodness, so many ways. And so often we don't realize it while we're in the winter season, right? For so many years, I cried out to God, my winter season, there's been two key ones. One was my dad passing. But this one on being single lasted, you know, for two decades. And I kept asking the Lord, why are you answering everybody else's prayers and not mine? Some of you might listening might feel that way. You know, um, you were praying for healing or to have a child or for a new job and you're like, heaven seems silent. And so I asked the Lord for so many years, why are you not answering my prayer? And when I got married, Um, that's when I finally got an answer and I was asking God, why do some people wait two years? And I waited two decades and especially in ministry where you're constantly doing weddings and baby showers and you know, it's constantly in front of you. And so it wasn't until after I got married that I heard an answer from the Lord and he simply said, grace, do you want a faith that is two years deep? or two decades deep. And that's when I got it, my friend, that there are some things that can only be developed through the waiting, through the winter season, through the trials and the struggles. I can tell you now, my faith is strong. If you want to join with somebody to believe for something, I'm your friend because I have seen how the Lord is faithful. And I would encourage anybody who may be going through something that God is working, just like um, the trees with photosynthesis or the roots that are being growing down. We may not see it, but something is happening. And and, and that's what the winter season teaches us. If you don't give up, if you continue pressing into the Lord, um, he is growing and transforming us to be more like him.
0: Yes, and you have children now.
1: Yes, yeah, so I have two beautiful daughters by marriage and, and a son-in-law and we just became grandparents. Oh, that's one ago. that's
0: just wonderful.
1: So we are loving life. I'm telling you, so grateful, you know. Um that's what the spring season is about that that God is working and oftentimes How he answers doesn't look like what exactly we were praying for, but we want to be open to what he wants to do because it's always so much better than we could think or imagine.
0: Yes, absolutely. Look, I can attest to everything you're saying. It's so true. Uh, Grace, where can people find you and Phil on social media, on the internet?
1: Yes, so on social media and website, it's Grace Wabuki Klein. That's Grace, W-A-B-U-K-E. K-L-E-I-N. And that's on Instagram, Facebook, website. And, um, I would love to connect with you. I'd love to hear your stories.
0: (laughs) Ah, yes. I'm sure, um, people all around the world have similar stories and, uh, it's quite remarkable how god works in people's lives through the through the years and how faithful he is absolutely grace Obuki klein thank you so much and her new book from worthy books in the states is called flourish finding purpose in the unknown and unexpected seasons of life grace bless you thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us um, on this podcast and thanks to our creative team at liquid edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things Behind the scenes, indeed they do. Grace, thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you, Brett. It's such an honor to be here with you and everybody listening. So grateful for the opportunity.
0: We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash Story Podcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.